All right, so if you have your Bibles, go to 1 John. Go to the book of 1 John. And as you're going there, just a quick um, kind of review, reminder of where we were uh, last week. We looked at four conditions of fellowship, and by conditions meaning that if we desire to have fellowship with God uh, and with each other, there's some things that are going to be required of us. And we, the four things we looked at were walk in the light, confession of sin, is that are we people who are regularly confessing our sin, obedience to his commands, and then love for one another. And we saw that obedience to his commands and love for one another, these are two evidences that we belong to Christ. And so we, we were looking at that last week. Uh, we saw that if we desire to have, find joy and fellowship with God, Christ, and each other, it requires these things of us. And finished up by asking the question of thinking in your life, uh, who are those people in your life or who's that person in your life who had a great impact uh, in, on the, in the faith uh, because of the fa- their faithful example of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Who are those people in your life that was that example to you? And then who could you be that example to as well? Maybe somebody who's younger in the faith. So we're not talking necessarily about age here. We're talking about somebody um, somebody who was uh, older, I guess a, you could consider a father in the faith. We talked about that last week. Um, who is that to you? Who could you be that to maybe somebody who's younger in the faith and being that example um, to them? This is how the early church multiplied so quickly. And we refer to this process um, in our day as discipleship. So maybe who has discipled you? And who could you disciple? Maybe those are terms that make more sense um, to you. And so that is kind of what we looked at uh, last week. Uh, but tonight we're going to look at the cautions of fellowship. And what we're going to see here is that John cautions them in two different areas. And we're going to look at these two areas that he cautions them in. Again, we saw last week to enjoy fellowship, it requires certain things on our part. And this week we're going to see two things that can hinder our fellowship. So if we, if we desire to have fellowship with God, there are some things, particularly sin in our life, uh, that will hinder our fellowship with him. And so uh, we're going to read in the passage, hopefully you're there, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse, starting verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Having children, or children uh, it, is the, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Uh, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no uh, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He is the one, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as, he, just as it is, has, has taught you, abide in him. And so we're going to be looking at this, we're going to break this up into two sections. The first one we're going to be looking at, Uh, We see there in in verses 15, starting in verse 15, and we'll be there in just a second. But the scripture speaks a lot about love, and we've talked about this. Even last week we talked about this. We're commanded to love God. We're commanded to love others. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, basically everything that you are. And what's second? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is how he summed up the law. If you go look at the Ten Commandments, that is the Ten Commandments wrapped up in one, in one statement. It's to love God with everything you are and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is kind of, this. he talks about loving God. We're commanded to love him. We're commanded to love others. John tells us in chapter 4 that God is love. It doesn't say that God is, is acts loving. It says that this is what he is. This is part of his character. This is one of his attributes is that God is love. We, are, we love God. We love our brothers and sisters. We love each other in here. Now all the times you may not like each other at times. We're family, right? But we love each other. Uh, we care about one another because we have the bond of Jesus Christ. So we love God. We love each other. The Gospel of John tells us that our love for one another actually testifies to a lost world that we belong to Christ. It says, by this they will know that you belong to me if you have love for one another. Because that's not natural. It's not natural to get a group together like this from all different places, all different walks of life, and we come together and we can love and care about one another. That's not normal. That's not natural. And so it speaks volumes as a witness to the love of God to a lost world. We're commanded to even love our enemies. Uh, Jesus loved us even when we were his enemies. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were his enemies, he died for us. He show, it says this is how he demonstrates his love. And so God is love. But 1 John 2.15 begins by commanding, Do not love something. So it's, it's a different, and it's not just a suggestion, it's a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world here, the word, the word world is used in the Bible in three different ways. First of all, it's used, uh, the world is used as of the creation. So as everything that God has created, and we, and we, we can we love those things. We can love creation, we love what God has made, we love his creativity, we love all these different things. Um, the, world, the second is the world of human beings. Is that other people? God created people. We love people, and we're commanded to do so. Now, if you notice these first two things, we have to fight to love. We have to fight to love creation. If we're not careful, Romans 1 talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And so we, we tend to, to do that naturally in our natural state. And then loving humans, other people, that's hard to do sometimes. We have to fight to do that. But this third way uh, that the uh, word world is used is the system of this world, world which aligns with Satan and opposes both God and Christ and is in rebellion to his kingdom. And so this is the easiest to love. It's easier to love the world than to love creation and to love God. Why? Because the first two, that's not natural. This third one is. And so he says, do not love the world. This world system which aligns with Satan and opposes both God and Christ and is in rebellion to his kingdom. So number three, the third thing we just talked about, is the world that John is speaking of when he says, do not love the world. Love of the world becomes sinful because it violates the commandments found in Scripture. When we love the world. It becomes sinful when it's directed toward the wrong object. The world system is anti-God, anti-kingdom, and it's satanic. That is, that is the world system. That is the world that we live in. And so he says, do not love the world. This, the world system opposes God and the things of God, and it is run and controlled by Satan. And so it's satanic. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that this is not our home. We're just passing through. And so this is not our home, and so we need to realize that. Here, John wants to warn his readers not to love false values, false standards, and false gods of society, because whatever things are involved in the world system are under the authority of the evil one. They're completely anti-God and will hinder our fellowship with him. And if you look back in chapter 1, what was John's goal? Is to have fellowship with God and with one another. That's one of the goals of writing this book. And so he says... Do not love the things of the world because it will hinder your fellowship with him. Now, we will be tempted, and we are tempted daily to love the world. So we are tempted on a daily basis to love 
the world. And so John, the first thing we see is that John warns the, warns of the, warns of the temptation to love the world. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, that, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not, uh, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he warns about this temptation to love the world. So the love of the, love of the world, it is sinful. It is sinful. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we won't turn there, but if you want to write that down, you can go look at it. We are commanded to love God with all that we are. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It says, love God with every ounce of your being. It says, this is what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to love God with all that we are. And when we love the world, we cannot love God. You can't do both. We, because we, we either love God or we love the world. And the world is the exact opposite as it opposes God. We can't do both. We can't ride the fence. And so we either love God or we don't. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. When we love the world, we violate the first commandment. We violate the first commandment. You think about the Ten Commandments, we violate number one on the list, and we become an idolater because we are giving our affections to the world in the place of God. So when I love the world, I'm, I become an idolater. Because I'm placing the world in front of God in his place. And so it's idolatry. And so we, we are violators of the first, the first of the Ten Commandments. Um, and this temptation, this is a temptation that we all face. And we all face it every day. So, and so every day we face this. And so let's look at temptation as, we're, as we, since we need to know, we need to know what temptation is and how it works. And so hold your place there and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, has conceived, gives, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So one thing we need to understand, first of all, about temptation is that temptation itself is not a sin. When you're tempted, that is not sinful. That is, um, there may be desires within you. It may be, it may be uh, Satan's influence uh, because maybe it's a, a cultural influence, but who's behind the culture? Satan. So he's behind the culture. And so maybe it's, but for whatever reason, the temptation itself, though, is not sin. It's when we yield to temptation that it becomes sin. So when we are tempted, when we actually commit, when we yield to that and we give in to that, then it becomes sin. We also need to know is that temptation is not a single event, but a process involving four steps. Now, these four steps, sometimes this process happens instantly. There's temptation and I fall really quick. Other times, maybe it's something that happens over time. It's something that happens every day and you're tempted and you're tempted and you're tempted and then it begins to entice you, and then eventually you fall. But there's these four steps. So sometimes it happens really fast. Sometimes maybe it's over a period of time. But it's not a single event. It's a process of these four steps. First is that is enticement. Enticement is like uh, referring to being lured, lured by bait. So think, I'm not, you know, I'm not a good fisherman. I'm terrible. So I don't like enjoy it. But some of you in here, I'm sure you enjoy it. That's kind of your thing. And you know exactly what kind of bait to use to catch what, that kind of fish that you're trying to catch. Me, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to catch it with it. doesn't matter what, uh, what I have. not going to catch them. But the whole idea of being lured by bait. Maybe think of a deer feeder. You know, you, people set up their deer feeders. They go and put corn in it. And every day, here they come. And so it's this idea of being lured by bait. Being lured by bait. The second uh, step is entrapment. Entrapment is to be snared in a trap. 
this, when my dad had his place in Redosa, they had a, um, they had a problem with a, a raccoon. He had these, these mice, these, these mouse traps. They, they, these little high, uh, house, they go in, they eat the poison, they go out and they die. Well, apparently that doesn't hurt raccoons. They bust into these things, they're eating all the poison, and it didn't kill them. And so he got a, a live trap, and I think he put some of that stuff actually in the trap. And uh, sure enough, the raccoon walks in and gets caught. Of course, by the time we found it, it had been a while. So <laughs> just leave it at that. But, but this idea of being snared in a trap is that you've been lured, you've been enticed, and then entrapment. And so kind of like setting a trap for, for something. And then the third thing, third step is endorsement. This is when the desire is conceived. It, it kind of uses the idea of, um, of childbirth, saying that when, uh, where are we at here? Verse 14. But each person is lured and enticed in his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, so the, there's desire, and when that is conceived... It says it gives birth to sin. So this endorsement is desire conceived. So this is when we, we've, we've seen the bait. It looks good. It looks good to our eyes. Maybe it looks good uh, to, and we, and we begin to desire it. It says that's when it gives birth to sin and then enslavement. Birth of sin and bring, it brings forth death. And so this process happens. Sometimes it happens really fast. Sometimes it's a process, but this enticement, this entrapment, endorsement, and enslavement. And the end result of sin is death. End result of sin is death every time. But the key to overcoming temptation is not just to resist, but also to change one's thoughts. Uh, Refocusing one's mind on what is true and the one who assures victory. And the best thing we can do in facing temptation what do you think the best thing to do is? Get out of there. Run. That's what Joseph did. Again, day in, day out in Potiphar's house, he was tempted to sleep with Potiphar's wife, and she tempted him every single day. And eventually, what did he do? He ran out. He ran away. He did what was right. And that, so that is what we are to do with sin, is that we are to flee sin. Because if you hang around you hang around you're going to fall so we have to run we have to flee when temptation uh, is there it's going to take vigilance to stand firm against temptation first peter 5 8 says be sober minded be watchful it says we need to be alert he's going to tell us why here in a second but it says pay attention a lot of times the way the temptation that you face the temptation that i face it's going to be the same temptations that are common as you'll see here in a minute but we, there's certain times in our life, maybe certain situations, maybe when you're tired, or maybe there's certain, maybe I'm tired or I'm sad or, or whatever, you're more likely to be tempted. And you kind of know those things about yourself. If you really begin to evaluate, when, it, when are those times, those intense times of, of temptation? But we need to be alert, be alert, be watchful. It says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour and we cannot let our guard down. The minute you let your guard down, you're in trouble. It says be watchful, be alert, pay attention. Because it says Satan wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. And this is how temptation works. He uses various kinds of bait to lure unsuspecting people into his traps. If we're not careful, we'll be, we will be deceived by our desires and find ourselves caught in sin Wake up and say, how in the world did I get here? How did I get here? And so it's one of those things that happens. It's this process. And the next thing you know, we're enslaved. And we say, I don't even know how I got here. And Satan is very, very good at what he does. He uses many things as bait. And it's going to be different for everybody. But it could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be sex. It could be pride. It could be self-seeking. Well, it's all self-seeking. Let's just be honest there. Uh, it could be pleasure, comfort, ease. That, I, that I'm seeking. I begin to seek these things. And he used these things as bait. And so it could be any number of things. 
but they all fall into one of three categories. And so one of three categories. So go back to first, first John chapter 2. And we're going to see Satan's tactics here. And the good thing is we know what they are because they don't change. They never change. And so all these things he uses as bait, they fall into one of three categories. And so his tactics, these tactics have not changed. He, and so he cannot change your salvation. He cannot affect that, but he wants to render you ineffective. If he can get you into sin, he will do that because you become ineffective uh, for the kingdom. And so 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world. And so in my version, it says desires. Your version may say lust, same thing here. But for all that is in the world, the desires or the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So these are the three categories that he uses as bait when we are tempted. When we are tempted to love the world, we are tempted to sin. Satan uses these tactics. Again, they have not changed. The lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh, physical temptations, especially sexual sin, those kind of things. Anything that would gratify the flesh. You'll see here in a minute when uh, he tempted Jesus, he says, turn these stones into bread. He was hungry. And so, again, anything that would gratify the flesh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, is greed, envy, and extravagance. Example, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show American Greed. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, you have to get like over onto MSNBC, so maybe you don't ever find yourself over that, that way. But there's a show that comes on there. It's called American Greed. And the stories are, are crazy about what greed does to people. They're stories. They're crime stories. You know, there's been people who have been killed <laughs> because somebody was greedy. Uh, extortion, all kinds of things to get rich is what it's all about. It's about greed. And so it's called American Greed. That would be lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes that people do anything to become wealthy. And then finally, the third is the pride of life. And this is an arrogant desire to be recognized. It's often associated with wealth or position and the desire to appear important so that others will be jealous. It's a look at me. Look at me. It's this arrogant a desire to be recognized. And so every bit of bait that Satan uses They fall into one of these three categories. So, for example, hold your place there and go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going all the way back to the beginning. This is when sin entered into the world. And so, as I read this passage, think about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree of the garden? Let me ask you this. Did God actually say that? He said you can't eat anything? No, he said there's one tree. So he, he comes and he begins to question God. So he's questioning God, questioning God's goodness. Hey, God's holding out on you. And so he begins, he begins to question. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Did God say anything about touching it? No. Again. He says, Lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, again, lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, Lust of the eyes, and then the tree was, was to be desired would make one wise, the pride of life. So she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Did you see the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life? This is exactly what Satan used to, uh, to tempt Eve, and she fell. And again, how did he start? A little bit, little half-truth, half-truth, um, 
questioning God. Hey, God's holding out on you. God knows that if you eat this, it's going to make you like him. And so this lust of the flesh, lust of the the eyes, the pride of life, Satan, the great deceiver. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we'll see the same tactics used when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, what does it say? He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's hungry. He tempts him. Again, lust of the flesh. Of course, Jesus uh, never sinned, and he he dealt with him with with Scripture. But we're we're trying to see how Satan works here. Verse 5, The devil took him to the holy city. It set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands you will, uh, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and sir, him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So in this passage, again, we can see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the tactics of the enemy, and he used them in the garden. He used them here in the wilderness with Jesus, and he also uses them today. They don't change. And so this is how temptation works. The tactics don't change. Again, now uh, keep, we'll be back in First John here in just a second, but go to James chapter 3. James has a lot to say about a temptation and things um, like that. James chapter 3. Verse 15 says, This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This passage is very similar to the one we just looked at, talking about the tactics that the enemy uses. It's very similar. David Jeremiah, he said, The wisdom of the world was spawned in the bosom of Satan, who lied against the truth of God, quoting Genesis 3. Worldly wisdom promises knowledge, but produces disobedience, Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6. Temptation always promises something. It it, it promises something that it can never keep. It's going to promise you... Uh, it's going to promise fulfillment. It's going to promise purpose. It's going to promise <clears throat> happiness. It's going to promise a lot of things. But it cannot keep that promise. So uh, the, I'll start this quote again. But the wisdom of the world was spawned in the bosom of Satan who lied against the truth of God. Worldly wisdom promises knowledge but produces disobedience. Seeks to, seeks to please itself. It's earthly. Instead of pleasing God. Creates chaos and strife. It's unspiritual and empowered and is powered by demonic forces of hell. It says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. It says this is what the world is. We have to realize that. Is that when we leave, we go out into a world that hates God. That is anti-God. And the temptation to love the world is real. And it's something that we face every single day. But the great news, the great news is that God provides a way of escape by his grace. When you are being tempted, there is always a way of escape. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. To resist the devil, we must first submit or place ourselves under 
God. We have to submit to God first and foremost. So I don't submit to, uh, to my desires. If I submit to my desires, that's sinful. That is loving the world. I'm to submit myself to God. It says resist the devil. And he will flee from you. So it begins with submitting to God. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. It says, therefore, if anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So let me stop there. So about the time you think you're doing really good, it says take heed. Take heed, lest you fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will, not, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And stop there just for a second. You hear a lot of people say, God will never give you more than you can bear. Well, that's just really not true. The only way that we can endure it is because God is good. That's the only way that we can endure, uh, endure something is that God is good and he is faithful. It says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. In our natural state, we, can't, we cannot bear it. It says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So one thing is that you are not a special case. It says there's no temptation that you face that is not common to man. Maybe like, oh, my case is different. Well, no, so is probably half the people in here too. It says, no, you're not a special case. All, all temptation is, is common to man. Nothing is, it says, uh, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But the great news is that God is faithful. Even when we're being tempted. Even in temptation, God is faithful and he provides a way of escape. Well, so you are not a special case. The temptation you face is common. And God is faithful to provide an escape. We just have to be willing to look for it. A lot of times we don't want to look for it. But God is faithful, so I believe that it's there if we look for it. God provides a way of escape when we are tempted. It says he is faithful to do this. That when you are tempted, there's a way out. See, you have the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Whose job is to guide you into all truth and empower you. Satan is formidable, but God is greater. See, we have a real enemy, and he is formidable, but God is greater. And God uh, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and so that, that empowers us to be able to say no when we are tempted. When Christians resist Satan and the power of the Holy Spirit, the enemy flees. And see, if we're not spending time in God's word, if we're, if we're not spending our time in prayer and these kinds of things, we have no power. We have no power to resist. But when we're spending time in God's word, then we are empow- and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can stand, uh, withstand temptation. So in loving the system of this world, it prevents fellowship with God. And worse, it may be a sign that someone has never really experienced the love of God, the love of the Father in the first place. And so John warns against the temptation to love the world as it chokes out fellowship with God. So if you desire to have fellowship with God, if you've ever lived, gone through a period in your life where you've lived in, in sin for a period of time as a believer, let's talk about as believers here, what's one of the last things you want to do? One of the last things you want to do, one of the last places you want to be is in church. We'll just start there, right? Uh, what, you don't want to read God's word. You don't want to pray because you've been living in sin. It breaks that fellowship. It breaks that fellowship. So we're talking about believers here. When we live in sin, it breaks that fellowship. And so when we love the world, it is a sinful love. And so John warns against the temptation to love the world as it chokes out fellowship with God and with each other. One of the worst things we can do is, is to isolate ourselves from the church. Because what is Satan called? We read it just a minute ago. A roaring lion seeking to devour you. So what's easier to devour, a group or somebody who's off by themselves? See, there's protection that's provided in the church. That's why it's so important to be here. That's why it's so important to engage in fellowships. That's why it's so important that, we, that we're part of a Bible class and things like that. Because this is where we are encouraged. We, we, we learn. We grow. Uh, we're, we're there for one another. We worship together. This is important that we do this. Um, but when we isolate ourselves outside the protection of the church... We set ourselves up to be devoured. And so, and it chokes out the fellowship with God and with other believers. 
So the second thing that John warns against, and we're not going to spend as much time on the second one uh, because we've kind of talked about the, the prevalent uh, heresy of the day was Gnosticism. And so we've talked about that a couple weeks ago. We're not going to talk about what that is every week. <laughs> um, but John, he warns of the spirit of these false teachers who have the spirit of the Antichrist. Of the Antichrist. So verse, uh, 1 John 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So he's talking about, you know that there's the Antichrist coming. He's coming. He's going to, he's going to set himself up as God. But he says, uh, so now many Antichrists have come. So he says, there's going to be Antichrist. That's going to be Satan. He was controlled by Satan. Uh, that is coming in the tribulation period. But he says, there are Antichrists in the world. They're here now. And so he says, therefore, we know that, the, uh, that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be, become plain that they are not of us. But you have, been, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have, and you, I'm sorry, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. But uh, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, <clears throat> this is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what, it, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you had, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you, will be able, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone... Uh, anyone should teach you, but at his anointing teacher, teaches you everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. I know that's kind of wordy and hard to, it doesn't, doesn't read uh, really, it's not easy to read at times, um, talking about the abiding in the Father and the Father and the Son, and, but John is warning, what he's warning here is of the spirit of the Antichrist. John knew his readers were living in the last hour, meaning that their current time foreshadowed the final period of history before Christ's return, when the Antichrist will come and set up, uh, and, and, and there'll be a seven-year period in the tribulation, which will be the worst the world has ever experienced, ever gone through, ever will go through again. And so he's going, the Antichrist will come here. It says this is a foreshadow of that. Uh, the spirit that is in the final Antichrist, he says, is in these false teachers. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit that's in them. Eventually, the Antichrist will rise, claiming to be God. And yet, in reality, by doing what he's doing is opposing God and leading people astray. This same counterfeit spirit uh, was and is, at the moment as we speak, is, is present in many Antichrists who are deceiving God's people through false teaching. And we have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. There's a lot of false teachers out there. There's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel uh, that's out there. Well, that's no gospel at all. Ultimately, they're denying the person of Jesus Christ. They're de- ultimately, they're denying the, uh, God the Father, denying Jesus Christ. And so these people are false teachers, and they're leading people astray. You know, there's guys like, uh, by the name of Rob Bell, um, who teaches, he, he, wrote a, he wrote a book, and basically what he says is that hell is not a real place and that everybody goes to heaven. Well, again, you're denying what Jesus said. You're denying the truth. And also, if, if everybody goes to, goes to heaven, then it violates the moral character of God. See, it's, deni- it's denying God, it's denying Jesus, it's denying God and these false teachers um, that John speaks of. They've been active in the local church, but they were not of the church, and they proved it by leaving. And see, at our church, we take the purity of the church, we, it's a serious matter. Particularly when it comes to church membership and things like that, this is why one reason we have the next step class, and you go, and you get to learn what we believe. 
You get to see our statement of faith. You get to see um, our, our church covenant and what we believe and how we are founded in and what we stand for. You get to learn all of these things. And some people have come and they've listened to that and be like, you know what, that's not the place for me. And that's okay. That's okay. But when you come and you become a member, you're saying, I agree with this church. I agree with the doctrine. I agree with what they teach. I agree with what they stand. And so I'm going to be a part of this church. And so there's a little bit of a process there. That's one reason we offer the Next Step class. Uh, We require people to regularly attend for at least six months before they ever have a chance to work with kids or teach. We want to know who they are. You can't just say, show up Sunday and say, I want to be a member. We don't even know who you are. Oh, by the way, I want to go teach first grade. Okay. We don't know you. We don't even know if you agree with what, believe what we, uh, what we believe. And so we take the, the purity of the church very seriously. We want to know people. We want to know who they are. And we want to know what they believe before we place them into any of those kinds of things. So that's why they need to come regularly and be here. You know, they can't just come once every three months and say, I think I'm ready to, I think I'm ready to teach now. Why? <laughs> Why? You, you don't even come. Uh, so it's one of those things where we take this as serious. And so we, uh, to Kelview, we take purity of the church as a serious matter. And we take very good care. In the Bible studies, the things we do, we try to look into. I mean, we're not perfect. And there's no perfect people out there. But we try to make sure that we don't, endorse anything uh, that would be questionable to the best of our, our ability. We try to do that, try to provide what is uh, doctrinally uh, uh, correct and, uh, and agrees with what we, what we believe and, and all these things. So we try to do these things. We try to, we, and so um, it is important and to guard against false teaching. And there are people who try to get into churches to get some kind of leadership position, and they have bad intentions. And see, we have to protect against that. And that's one, re- that is, that's one thing we do to try to keep that kind of stuff from happening. We've had people try those things in the past. And so we, uh, we take that seriously. John says, here's how you can identify these people. He says, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. The great difference between false teachers... And true biblical teachers comes down to what the person believes about Jesus, who they believe Jesus to be. And people will surprise you with the answers that they have. But all all false teachers deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, God's true children recognize Jesus is both fully God and is the only way to salvation. You talk to a lot of people, they say, we all end up in heaven someday, kind of like Rob Bell. Uh, a lot of people say, um, my good will outweigh my bad. Uh, you're, these religions, they're all the same. They all lead to the same place. Well, no, they don't. That's false. That's error. And so Jesus is the only way of salvation. So protection against deception. And again, Satan is good. And if we are not spending time in God's word, we can easily be deceived. So protection against deception, we see in verse 27, is abiding in Christ. And we talked about that last week. The word abide here means to continue in relationship with Christ. This could be referred to as the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Uh, Ultimately, what it means is basically, maybe you say it once saved, always saved. Uh, There's different ways to say this. But... uh, If a person is truly born of God, they cannot help but reflect his character because they abide in him. They remain connected to him. And so, and I truly believe that a person who's truly saved, can they walk away and never come back? I believe a true, and this is, I I believe the Bible teaches a true believer that can wander, they can walk away, but they always come back. They always come back. And so, this is this idea of abiding in him. His character is so the person truly born of God cannot help but reflect his character because they abide in him. See, when we're saved, we're a new creation. We're given a new heart. We're given a new nature. We can't continue to live like the old man. We're to put that, aside, put that away. 
As opposed to false teachers, godly teachers help people better understand the Bible, and the Holy Spirit reveals its truth. But anyone who contradicts what is in God's word must not be heeded, for they are liars. John says they lie. They're liars. Satan is the father of lies, and he's been a liar from the beginning. We must know God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit in order to discern between truth and error. See, that's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs, is to help you discern between truth and error. The Holy Spirit helps you understand the scripture. The Holy Spirit helps you recognize when there's uh, the difference between truth and error, because again, these false teachers, they're good. They're good at what they do. They're good at deception. If we're not careful, we have to have discernment. The Holy Spirit helps with this. So know that the spirit of the Antichrist is opposed to God. They will teach anything that benefits themselves. They are motivated by power, reputation, greed. You know, we watched the American gospel. It's been a couple of years now. I talked about the, health, the, the prosperity gospel. Who's, who are they actually helping? Number one. Right? It's all about myself. And when they say, if you just give enough money, if, you, if someone's sick, hey, if you just give enough money, God will heal you. If somebody dies, well, apparently you didn't have enough faith or you didn't give enough money. And uh, ultimately, it's benefiting who? Themselves. And so these false teachers, they're always about themselves. A hundred percent. And maybe they want power. They want uh, Fame. They want reputation. They want. They're they're greedy for gain. Ultimately, they are under the control of the devil, who is the master of deception. And that's what they are. And we don't need to spend time listening to them. And there's guys who you know that even recently, guys like Andy Stanley. He's been saying some crazy stuff recently, false stuff. And so we got to be careful. So when you go to Mardell, be careful what you're looking at. <laughs> They're going to slap the word Christian on it, label it as Christian. That doesn't mean it is. We have to be discerning. We have to be careful. Because ultimately, there's false teachers out there with the spirit of the Antichrist who are opposed to God, ultimately under the control of, of Satan himself, and they are motivated by uh, self, with self-seeking desires. So applying this, just to kind of wrap up real quick, the Apostle John gives two warnings to his beloved readers, and he calls them children. He teach, he, he, you can tell that he loves these people by the way he talks to them. He calls them children. He says, my beloved love children, and, and, and he uses this verbiage. But he gives two warnings to his beloved readers, and it would be wise of us to heed these warnings. If we belong to Christ and we desire true fellowship with God and with each other, it would be, important, it would be wise for us to heed these warnings that he gives. Again, those two warnings are do not love the world and beware of deception of false teachers who are controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. These things he warns us about will hinder your fellowship with God. They'll they'll hinder your fellowship with God and with each other. John loved these people and he desired them to be in in fellowship with God and with each other. He's telling them straightforward that Satan is real and he's the great deceiver. Not denying that. He's the great deceiver and he's really good at it. He's really deceptive. He's he's a liar and the father of all lies and he's deceptive. And he wants to render you ineffective. And he'll do whatever it takes to do that. Can't change your salvation. That's settled. But he can try to render you ineffective. He says, beware of temptation to love the world and false teachings. Combat these by abiding in Christ and clinging to his promise of eternal life. It's interesting that in all of this, he's talking about false teachers and all these things. And then he says in verse 25, And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So see, you have eternity coming. Don't waste your time loving the world. Don't waste your time with false teachers. Be discerning. He says, you have eternal life coming in, in, in the end, and that's for all eternity. Combat these things by abiding in Christ, clinging to his promise of eternal life. The challenge tonight is to beware of the temptation to love the world, and that is a real temptation that I think we all understand. 
I think we all experience this, is to love the world. And Satan uses things, even things that are not bad, to, to try to trap us and trap us. Even things like ease and comfort, uh, he uses these things. So the challenge is to beware of temptation, to love the world, recognize that in your life, and to cling to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way. He is the only one who grants access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. And so if we want to know truth, what do we need to know? We need to know Christ. We need to know him as our Savior, first, first of all. And then we need to know what his word says. It says he is the life. He is the author of life. He is the only one who can grant life. We were dead. We were dead in our sins. We were on our way to hell. Yet God is good. And he sent his son because he loved us to pay the penalty of our sin. And Jesus came, he died, and he shed his blood, reconciling us to himself so that we can have access to God the Father, and he gives us eternal life. See, that should make us want to serve him. That That is our motivation for saying, you know what, I don't love the world. I love Christ. I don't want to be deceived. I want to abide and know Christ. That is the motivation because of what Jesus did for us. So if you don't know, if you're in here tonight and you don't know Christ, come talk to me afterward. Tonight's the night. For those of us in here who do know Christ, again, beware. Beware of the temptation to love the world. It's very subtle. We have to be careful. We have to be discerning and then cling to Christ the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the stage you've given us. We thank you for uh, the letter of 1 John. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to heed these warnings that John gives, Lord, that we would not love the world. And I ask that you forgive us for the times that we do love the world. And it's a real temptation, and it's something that we all face. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal those times, reveal those areas in our heart, uh, God, that we are giving our affections to the world that we might confess our sins and be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to beware of false teachers and false teachings that are out there, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, that you would give us discernment to be able to differentiate between truth and error. God, we ask that you would help us to do that. Lord, we want to honor you in all that we do. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.